Welcome back to the Disgusting Baseball Podcast, the unofficial Covering the Corner podcast. I have with me Quincy Wheeler, my co-host as always. My name is Matt Dallas. Quincy, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, doing great. Good. And then we actually have a special surprise of sorts today. We have a guest with us to uh, to talk some guards. We've got uh, Guardians Twitter mainstay, Willie Hood. Willie, how we doing? Doing great. How about you? Not too bad. Not too bad. So... Willie, I think we should probably just jump right into it. I've seen a lot of talk lately about Shane Bieber. It's kind of what everybody's talking about, what everybody's focused on right now in the in the Cleveland Guardians world. Does he get traded? What does he get traded for? If so, um, just at, at the most 10,000-foot view to start with, do you think Bieber gets traded, and do you think that happens in the next couple days, couple weeks, spring training? I think he absolutely will be traded. I'm not putting percentages on it, um, but I would say far greater chance he is gone. We've seen the last of him. In fact, I wore my Shane Bieber jersey the other day just because I was like, hey, I want to get one nice more wear out of it while he's still a guardian. Um, As far as timeline goes, I think possibly before Christmas, but who knows with this Tyler Glassnow deal that is or isn't happening, I think that slows down the pitching market right now. Um, but I would say up to the first week of January, that's when teams are really going to be looking and players are going to be looking to find homes. Typically they want to get done before Christmas. So they know where they are for the holidays. They can get their families transitioned and all of that begin that process for the new year. Um, I think something will eventually get done. Uh, you know, we've seen some prices put out there on what Bieber is actually worth or what, what I'm sorry, what, the guardians are saying Bieber is worth and then everyone has seemingly different opinions on that. But I think Cleveland will find uh, a way to get something done and it may take a creative path to make that happen. But I do think that we've seen the last of him in Cleveland as a guardian. Fair enough. You know, I think obviously with, uh, with some of his injury history and the fact that he's an expiring contract to, um, you know, quite frankly, isn't really looking for an extension here in Cleveland. I would be, at least inclined to agree that no matter what, he won't be here in 2025, but most likely he won't be here in 2024 as well. Um, you know, Quincy, just, you know, would like to hear your thoughts on it. Just do you think he gets traded at this point? Yeah, I think when you get Mandy Bell and Zach Meisel and Paul Hoynes all basically saying it seems pretty likely he gets traded, that that's probably a fairly good indicator that their sense is that that's going to happen. Um, so I, I think that makes sense. I think like people are like, well, he's got injury problems last season. So is his value really as high as it can be? Well, I mean, if he finished the season healthy, if he gets injured during the season next year, then his value craters even more. And of course, right now you have the potential if you're the team that gets him to work on an extension spring training, if you want to. And if not, if you can't reach one, then you can get a compensation pick. If he walks after the season and you get, you know, with the starting pitching, the way it is, Tyler Malley just now getting a pretty good deal. $12 million for Shane Bieber sounds pretty good. So I feel like somebody's going to give the guardians something like what they want. It's not going to be something earth shattering, but I think, I think it gets done. 
Bieber is such a hard guy to quantify his value right now, too, just because the injury history. I know everybody gets caught up on a lot of the red circles and blue circles on baseball savant. But, you know, we are still talking about a guy who just, you know, three, four years ago was not only a Cy Young winner, but had one of the best pitching seasons in modern baseball. And, you know, he's coming off the worst season of his career where he still finished with a, a 380 FIP and a 110 ERA plus and was a solid pitcher. And a year ago, he was a 288 ERA guy. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the talent's clearly still there. I mean, is he an ace that can anchor a staff at this point, you know, for a world series team, probably not, but, you know, I feel like on one hand, it's, it's easy to overrate his value just with the accolades of Cy Young and the name attached to it. But, um, I feel like we've also kind of swung the pendulum the other way a little bit too much now where we're underappreciating it. Willie, what are your thoughts on that? I agree with that. I wanted to tag on to something that you said it just occurred to me Travis Sawchick uh mentioned you I think it was yesterday or the day before that if Tampa Bay wants a player from you whatever you do don't trade them uh now Cleveland did make a trade with Tampa Bay last year for Kyle Manzardo involving Aaron Savali and then cut uh Paul Hoynes had a, a rumor that Shane Bieber was potentially going to be dealt to, to Tampa Bay for Manzardo uh before things happened with the elbow um, I say all of that to say if Tampa Bay was looking at Shane Bieber and thinking they could optimize him, then why wouldn't other teams think, hey, there's something there that we, we still believe in the talent, whether he's a two or a three. Uh, I question whether he was the ace that we said that he was during the 2020 season. You have to look at the 2020 season as it was, which was a shortened season. We didn't see him pit, pitch at peak velocity for an entire season. Um and then he had that shoulder injury in 21. So we'll never know if he if he truly was that pitcher from 2020. I say he probably wasn't, and that was a, an aberration of who he was, but he's still a very good pitcher. I think one of the best in the AL century, Central, and I think he's a potential number two or number three. Um, I, I think that's an opportunity for a team to hop in here and say, hey, you know what? We realize that there could be an injury here, but he's never required surgery. I think we're talking down his value, if anything. Um, you know, I wrote a piece earlier this week. I released it next year in Cleveland. I released that on on my newsletter as well. And I talked about a lot of different options, a lot of different paths that Cleveland could take. Uh, obviously, they could add a player to a trade. They could do the protective language. Like I said, in that piece, you can... You can add a player to be named later as part of the return. And if, let's say, he does get injured in part of the season and misses some time, um, you know, that provides that protection for that team. They wouldn't, Cleveland wouldn't get back that return. But, you know, when you look at the market, I see Sonny Gray getting three years and $75 million. I, I look and see what Shane Bieber is and what his potential is. I'm like, no, wait a second. This is a guy like Tyler Glass now on a one-year deal, $75 million. You may get a similar type of productive season from Bieber at $12 or $13 million. So don't tell me he doesn't have value. Um, when his agent is floating that he would do an extension, I think that props up his value. That is actually in favor of Cleveland, um, knowing that Bieber would be open to an extension going elsewhere. And as Quincy mentioned already, getting a compensation draft pick, is huge. That's like getting back a 40 or a 45 prospect, depending on the team. Um, 
that helps offset the loss of a prospect in a deal. So I don't, I just don't buy that Bieber doesn't have value, even like Corey Kluber. I say Corey Kluber deal is the floor for him. I think with the market on pitching nowadays and the market has seemingly changed and the price has gone up in recent years, uh, I think you have excess value in his contract and I think you have excess value potentially with his productivity. And then when you consider the other factors in it, and I know we're talking about a guy who's had diminished blue dots, as you said, on baseball savant. If you look on there, things have changed for him, but he's still an excellent pitcher. Go back and look at what Zach Grinke in just over a year of service time brought to the, um, I think it was the Arizona Arizona Diamondbacks when he was traded from, from Houston or vice versa. I think I have the two teams backwards. But anyways, when you, when you go back and you look at that, deal that's the potential that Shane Bieber has is you know maybe he's a diminished ace he's a number two or a number three now uh but there's potential there to be a very impactful starter for a playoff caliber club and if you're trying to acquire Bieber you believe you can make a playoff run this season that's what it's all about and then when you look last year at the deadline I've pointed multiple times to the Jordan Montgomery trade and then also uh Flaherty going to Baltimore you see Baltimore gave up three prospects for him. And I think that was a 45, a 40, and another 40. I think Cleveland can get that or just to take more um, just out of desperation from a club, but also because, as I said, um, with Bieber potentially getting a qualifying offer at the end of the season, you get a little bit more value there for him for a, a team that hopes to acquire him. For sure. And I think something you mentioned too um, it, that's important, you know, obviously it's pretty safe to say he's not, 2020 Shane Bieber anymore. That's not something that we can expect. But when we talk about the diminished blue circles and stuff and the 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 traits on like a baseball savant, the metrics, we oftentimes tend to look at that relative to his peak and not look at who he's been for his career. There is precedent for him pitching well as the type of pitcher he is today, maybe with a little bit more swing and miss. But his average exit velocity is pretty much the same as it was in 2019 which was his first full season with the club. He's given up the same hard hit percentage, same, actually a better ground ball rate by 10, uh, by a couple percentage points. Um, you know, and, and in that season, he was viewed as one of the best young starting pitchers in all of baseball. He was all-star game MVP, you know? Um, so is, is it safe to say that he's not going to be 2020, uh, 273 ERA plus Shane Bieber? Yeah. But you know, Hey, uh, a 330 FIP guy that that's got value. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, in the league. And, and I mean, you can also point to the, he dominated the Yankees in the playoffs and in, in a start in 2022. I mean, that shows you what he's capable of. The other thing that I would say, I think, you know, Willie does a good job pointing us to Flaherty deal to, um, but, and to a potential glass now deal, whatever the glass now deal is, will be pretty telling because, uh, you know how we think, you know, Shane Bieber, there's some injury his, uh, issues there because he had a little bit of an elbow inflammation and and he's had some problems in, with his back in the past. Uh, Glass now has immense <laughs> injury problems. Over the past mm -hmm. three years, Bieber has pitched 200 more innings than Glass now has. He has only 0.4 more FIP than Glass now has in that time period. And I mean, velocity is king, so I understand Glassnow is going to fetch you a little bit more. But Bieber is also two years younger than Glassnow. So I think I'd take all those things to a team as the Guardians and say, 
our boy is just about as good as Glassdown. He's more likely to be there for you if you acquire him. So whatever Glassdown is getting, we should be able to get for him. Yeah, and that I think it's worth the, noting too. Sorry, half the go cost ahead. There too, Quincy. What's that? Oh yeah, half the cost. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, I forgot to say that. Yeah, they're under control for the same time period, but half the cost. So yeah. Yeah, I also think it's worth noting, and and this is really important that Bieber from April through May in 2023 was pitching to Mike Zunino very frequently. And he's a guy that buries his curveball a lot. And I'm not a big catcher ERA guy. That's not a stat that I love, but with how just abysmal Zunino was at blocking the ball, um, Bieber was, had an inflated walk rate. Um, He was only striking out two and a half guys per walk, six and a half guys per nine innings. And then in June, when Gallagher switched over to being his regular catcher and he could get to his curveball a little more confidently, he went up to a 9.3 strikeout per nine and uh, four and a half strikeouts per walk. So it's, it's, you know, a little bit anecdotal. I don't always love like, oh, it was all on the catcher. But if you're not confident that you can bury your curveball in the dirt and that's what makes you a successful pitcher pitching very vertically like that, um, that can have an impact on your overall arsenal and what you can do to strike guys out, especially when your curveball is your strikeout pitch. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. And of course, right now, Bieber, maybe he's saying to, uh, to anybody who listen, I wouldn't mind staying in Cleveland. Uh, Austin Hedges can be my personal catcher and I can throw whatever the heck I want because he's going to block it every time. <laughs> oh, you can't get anything past Austin Hedges. It's amazing. <laughs> and he's going to frame everything around any corner or any, any uh, the line of the plate and get it to be a strike. Yeah, I mean, if I, if I was Bieber, I'd be like, hey, it's fine because I'm going to have a really great year and get some great stuff in free agency if I stay here. I think there was a month when we had more pass balls and wild pitches under Zunino than we had in the entire season under Hedges in 2022. Yeah. Or like Roberto Perez, remember that no pass ball season? Yeah, we've oh been my kinda, goodness, we've, we've been spoiled up until last season. And you know, Hedges can get you about another four or five inches on every direction on the strike zone. Yeah, I know that Willie's a Hedges fan, but I also know that Willie is a draft expert, and we got to get to that. So. Our Guardians have the top pick in Major League Baseball draft. And I don't want to take credit for it, but I did go to a rotary meeting that morning and I gave $5 to our like little happy finds because I was like, I'd like the Guardians to get a top five draft pick. And I was wearing my rally cap as they were announcing selections. So you're welcome, everyone. But anyway, uh, Willie, uh, I, I know that Matt and I would love to kind of hear your thoughts about the pick and about what's ahead for us and what names we should be watching for. Yeah, I'm still uh, like pinch me. I- I'm dreaming. I still can't believe that they've got the number one pick and get to basically dictate the draft to everyone else. Um, you know, we've mentioned trades and stuff. I would love to see Cleveland go get a compensation pick to only the compensation picks that that can be traded. Love to see Cleveland acquire acquire one because this is how this team should be built is around and around the draft and and scouting players through trades and the international period. But um, you, you mentioned players we should know. I'm going to say Nick Kurtz is a name to know. Uh, first baseman from Wake Forest. Definitely need to know him. He is a guy that just mashes 24 home runs last year. I think he hit 330 in the ACC, and the ACC is arguably one of the best baseball com- conferences in the country, if not the best. Um, from there, Travis... Bazana, I cannot say the last name, but from Oregon State, he's originally from Australia. 
I believe he hit 375 last year, something like 12 home runs, 36 stolen bases. J.J. Weatherholt at um, West Virginia, he's a second baseman, going to play shortstop this year, going to see if he can actually handle it and pick it there. And if he can, that just raises his value. I'd love to see him play some center field because he has the speed for it. Uh, to my knowledge, he hasn't played in the outfield, though. Um, 16, 18 home runs last year, hit 449, if I remember correctly, and 36 stolen bases. Duke can just hit. He falls out of bed hitting. Um, kind of reminds me or puts me in mind of not swing or anything like that, but Zach Nito a year or two ago who was a guy that can just hit and takes a ton of walks. Um, Weather Holt just hits. He's going to be a high average hitter. You're not going to get a ton of home runs, maybe just average power potential from him. Uh, as far as pitching goes, I'd look at Chase Burns as somebody to watch. Hey, Willie, I think you're muted. Oh. It's all from Burns. Willie, yeah, you were just saying Chase Burns is somebody to watch is where you were. Yeah, Chase Burns is somebody to watch. Sorry about that. Uh, Telemarketer is trying to call uh, right in the middle of something. (laughs) That's how it always goes, right? Yeah. Um, so Chase Burns hits, hits 100, 101. He's a transfer from Tennessee, all power stuff. I've said that's Daniel Espino if Espino went to college. Just that kind of stuff there. Uh, a, a guy that I think could potentially go 1-1. If he has as good or a better season of Paul Skeens, who, who was just dominant at LSU last year, then Burns could uh, potentially push himself into that spot. Frankly, if I'm Cleveland and thinking how this organization goes, there's one of two ways. They can either be very protective, and what I mean by protective is they can go with the best player available for them, which would be a nice, safe college hitter, somebody that you know is going to hit for high average, or you can go with potentially the highest potential player available in the draft. And to me, that's potentially Connor Griffin. Um, He's a pitcher, shortstop, outfielder, somebody – I heard talking about him, described him as an, as another Corey Seager. I would take that. Um, I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. But he's, he's a potential five tool talent and there's speed, there's power arm. All of it is there. Um, he scuffled a little bit on the summer league. Uh, but you know what, as these players adjust and, and play different leagues, I think sometimes and he's a younger guy, too. hes I don't think he's quite 18 yet. Um, I think there are going to be struggles. There's going to be adjustments. So long as they're adjusting and showing improvements by the end of it, that's what you really want to see from a guy that young, um, especially changing leagues and, and up a new against new competition. So it's safe to say there's still a large amount of scouting to go between now and draft day, I'm sure. Yes, yes, I absolutely. Just... <laughs> I saw a Cubs fan. I'm, I'm sorry, not a Cubs fan, but a Twins fan trolling after Cleveland won the first pick and said that this draft is not as good as last year's draft. And of course it's not because these players haven't developed yet. They've got a whole nother season of development ahead of them. Um, So to say that on paper is just ridiculous to me. I think there's a lot of talent in this draft. I, you know, I like this draft class. Getting the opportunity to dictate the draft with that first pick and then getting an additional, it's either four or $5 million more added to their draft pool. Um, 
and how Cleveland usually uses that is kind of spread the wealth, so to speak, and bring in a higher quality, quantity, number of players. So it, to me, they'll probably take a safe route, get somebody just a little bit under slot and move money down the board and then bring in some really highly talented players with the next couple of picks too. I think it's a great opportunity for the org to add um, potentially a top 20 guy in the top 100 overall rankings. You're talking about that type of talent influx into the org just by winning that draft pick. Um, that's a huge addition to the system. Yeah, I was just going to say, speaking of scouting, I was while you were talking about Connor Griffin, who I've been hearing and reading about, I just looked up and, uh, man, he's got a neck. His neck is like the size of my thigh. <laughs> oh, the old Jim Tomey power neck. Six, six, four, 210 pounds. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for everything, that sounds pretty exciting. And that's what they look like, man. Else. That is what they look like. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, you know, I think that the, what you bring up too, with the top 20 overall type of talent, uh, that's huge because, you know, we've had this farm system that's been really highly ranked in each of the last couple of years, but that has always been the one, uh, kind of bugaboo with all the national columnists is just that, Hey, it's a lot of really good players. A lot of, a lot of 45s, a lot of 45s, way more than anybody else has, but we don't have that one crown jewel type player. We don't have a, a Gunnar Henderson, a Jackson holiday and Adley Rutschman type of talent. Um, this is where you get that, you know, going one, one in the draft, even in a weak draft going one, one is going one, one. And if I remember right, Gunnar Henderson went in the second or third round. It was a competitive will, balance pick. Yeah, Cleveland will have three top 50 picks. So that's a great opportunity. You're getting a higher level of talent with those picks, getting that comp A pick at pick 36, I think it is right now. And then the round two pick falls around 46 or 48. Um you know, you can slight the draft class if you want to, but it's premature to do that. Obviously, there was talent pushed back last year from 2020 because of COVID, the shortened season, all of that. To me, this is just a normal draft class. Uh, there's always talent to be had. You just have to find it and develop it. So I don't buy that. I, and I still will say there's plenty of time for players to develop, for things to change, and for players to enter into this draft class. Um, we've seen some reclassifications already. You know, just think of about of a player like Cam Collier who reclassified, reclassified and then went to junior college and then entered not even 18 years old, you know, and there's that sort of opportunity there. There could be talents from the 2025 draft still transfer into this draft class. So there's still opportunity to add talent on, in addition to what is already available in the class. But this is a great opportunity for Cleveland to add talent to their to their um, farm system. And kind of as you were alluding to, there's a lot of 45s, a couple of 50s in there. But I, I think this is an opportunity to add two or three or more um, crown jewels, if you will, guys that could potentially fall into that top 15 within the Guardians prospects. And and by the way, I think people get hung up too much with top 30s and all of that when you have guys like Jose that was never the top prospect or guys that come from outside of the top 30 and actually perform and end up being excellent major leaguers. Um, too much is made of that. 
rankings too much is made of numbers. I look more at talent tiers than I do rankings and look at guys in that, hey, this is what this guy could be and how valuable is that role. But with that, uh, I I will uh, relent and turn it back to you. Oh, I think you, you said a lot of really great stuff there. I, I think my, my question would be, um, right now, like if, if you're on the clock, you know, if you had to nail it down to one guy, who, who would you say on December 14th, 2023, you would pick first overall? I think I'd go Nick Kurtz right now. So, which is an interesting thing. And I know we're getting low on time. Um, you know, naturally speaking, whenever you hear first base only that, that raises some red flags, typically Mm -hmm. speaking. I'm of the school of thought of if he's first base only and getting talked about going one, one, that means the bat must be special, special. Um, what about him speaks to you that, that kind of overcomes that defensive hurdle for him at a position that doesn't necessarily have as much value. If you get the productivity of Matt Olson from him and, and you believe in that, would you take him one, one? No question. So to me, that's the productivity that I see that Kurtz could produce in that sort of impact. That's what a five war player that's worth one, one to me. Um, You're betting on a guy who has more walks than strikeouts last year, a guy that hit over 330 and potentially the best conference in in the country, a guy that hit 24 home runs as a sophomore, and you believe that he has 70 raw power. And and I've seen some put 50 great hit tool on him. Uh, It's anywhere from 55 to 60 for me. I believe in the bat that much. I think he has 70 raw power. We just saw Cleveland take a chance on Davison De Los Santos who has a 40 bat and 70 raw power. Why would you not do that at, at one, one, if you believe this guy could be Matt Olson. And I'll add to that because of that, I would utilize that and say, well, you know, you are a limited profile. You are a top three, four guy, but I'm going to give you 9 million instead of 10 million, like the allotment. And that gives me a million dollars to push down to pick 36 and then down to pick 48 and so on. That's how I would approach it. And, and that's going to come into play for them. But ultimately, you know, I went back to what would they do if they go highest upside available? And, you know, that could be Connor Griffin if you're going highest upside available, because I believe he's the most talented player in the draft class. If Cleveland did what they did in the rule five, they picked the most talented player available and then they'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I agree. I know we're I know we're running almost out of time, but I think I'll have one more question for Willie. I know who who knows a lot about Guardians prospects. Willie, if you had to pick one guy that you feel like Cleveland Guardians fans are kind of sleeping on, you know, kind of maybe they have prospect fatigue about or just overlooking, uh, is there one guy that comes to mind for that for you? I'm gonna say Angel Martinez. Um, I don't think we appreciate him. He started out slow last year. Uh, seeing him getting some reps on Instagram uh, and on the internet, playing center field and some outfield now too. He has versatility, but he's only 21 and playing at that level of 21. He's a coach's son, has above average speed, a good glove. I think he could be an everyday regular shortstop, third baseman, second baseman, or if he ends up in the outfielder, I still think he's a potential everyday regular at the major league level. I think there's some prospect fatigue there but i also think he's buried so to speak behind other bigger names gabriel arias brian rocchio tyler freeman have all kind of covered him up you get lost in the shuffle there 
Would not be surprised to see him included in a trade at some point this offseason if Cleveland goes that route. Um, obviously, they're creating some flexibility with him, playing him in center field. I think they should have been doing that with all of these middle infielders, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's a great choice. Yeah, I mean, speaking of guys that are you look at and are physically impressive, he uh, he his muscles all came in last season. Like, he's a big guy now, and I wonder if – that too probably plays into maybe having a little bit of a down year as your body gets used to the fact that, Hey, now I've got all these muscles and wouldn't be surprised to see him take off. And not that he's been terrible considering his age being where he is in levels. So I think think it's a great choice. Yeah. Really appreciate your insight. I do want to add Quincy to specifically that point you just made. And I, I talked about this in an article I wrote a little while back. Martinez amongst all of our prospects had one of the biggest jumps year to year in terms of fly ball rate. And in terms of pull rate, which means that they took him from a pretty much a spray hitter to a heavily lean pull and a heavily lean fly ball guy, um, which to me, um, at least as you're a young guy growing into his body, settling in as you're going up a level in minor league baseball, um, it's not that surprising that he struggled a little bit out the gate. And then as he got comfortable with the changes, he turned it on a little bit late in the season and had a couple hot stretches. So yeah. it, it, I'm not saying that's what the cause is, but the trajectory he was on is consistent with that line of thinking. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I hope for big things for him, unless he's included in the Shane Bieber trade to land us a huge, <laughs> huge return to go along with it. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I've convinced myself that Heston Kierstad is going to be a Cleveland guardian someday, but I, I, I think I might be fooling myself. I, I have my sights set on a bunch of right-handed hitters. I, I'm obsessed with trying to fix the lineups issues against left-handed pitching. Uh, well guys, you should follow Willie on Twitter. Uh, sure. Uh, with the description of this episode, we'll put up where you can find him there. Will, will who at 99 in, on Twitter. And then also, uh, sign up for the next year in Cleveland email list. And that's where you can get his articles when he's able to have time to put them out there. And I know he appears on Justin Latta who's with next year in Cleveland and locked on guardians, a great podcast. Him and Jeff Ellis do uh, that. Lily appears with Justin Latta every now and then on guardians of the future podcasts, which are always must listen to's. So anytime that Willie can share his great insights on the guardians and baseball, I love to hear it. Yeah. Willie, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, guys. I appreciate your all's knowledge. Love hearing your passion for it, too.